This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. guests with us. We welcome you. Thank you for being at Church of the Harvest this morning. We are a body of believers. We just, we love the Lord and we love people like he does. And our, our purpose is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. How many of you want to fulfill your God-given purpose in life? Amen. And so we do that by building Christian community, by being discipled and discipling one another, and by reaching out to those around us. If this is your first time at Harvest, as Pastor Shauna said, we want to let you know uh, that we are in the 28th week of a 31-week series that we are calling The Story. It's just simply we are going through the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, We started in February in the book of Genesis. We're going to end this month in the book of Revelation. And the whole idea is to see what this is all about. We know that most people who call themselves Christians never crack open their Bible outside of Sunday and don't know what this is all about. All they know is that they received Jesus as their Lord. Guys, we need to be about the Father's business. And to be about the Father's business, we've got to know what the Father's business is. Glad we got three amens on that. So... So that is our goal. Our goal has been to see what is God up to? What is this all about from the beginning to the end? And we know, as we've talked about over and over again, it's about God's plan to bring mankind back into relationship with him the way he originally intended it in the garden in the beginning. Why did he have to restore us? Because in the garden we jacked it up. Man had to make a choice. Man had to choose God. As we tend to do, we chose ourselves and selfishness. And so because of Adam and Eve's sin, our ancestors' sin... They sinned against God. They didn't align themselves with his plan and his, 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 his upper story, as we've been calling it. So they were cast out of the garden, and they were dead in their sin, along with all of their descendants after them, right? So we know that, that in that moment, that was God's plan. From there on out, God had a plan that was in place to bring mankind back into relationship with him again. And we know that finally the promised Messiah was born 2,000 years ago to the Virgin Mary. And he would give his life to pay the price for mankind's sin and to make the way back. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago, we talked a bit about uh, Jesus' question to the disciples. And what was that question that he asked? You remember? Who do you say that I am? And we talked about how that question is resonating throughout all of of time. And that is the question that Jesus is still asking today. That is the question that you have to answer. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? And, you know, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was saying, you're Lord. And we know that that's what Romans 10.9 tells us. We have to confess Jesus as our Lord. And that's what we're doing. We're answering that question, who do you say that I am? And I got a picture of that this week. I was picturing how, you know, our sin, we, you know, we, we, we love to think about our sin and like God separating himself from us, but we were the ones that did the separating, guys. It was our sin, our choice to sin that built an impenetrable wall between us and the Father. And humanity quickly found out that it was a bad choice. Right? But there was no way humanity could get back through that wall. There was no way humanity on their own could get back to the Father, right? Except for Jesus. Right? God, the Father, is still on the other side. He still wants relationship with us. So God did what nobody else could. He jumped the wall, became a man. And he became the doorway when he gave his life. Suddenly, 
as we went through the crucifixion and the resurrection last week, there's a door in that impenetrable wall that's wide open. It's good news, y'all. It's good news. Now, here's the thing. As I said last week, where does that leave us? When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished, right? God had done everything he was going to do, everything he could possibly do to make the way back. He basically said, the ball's in your court. I've done everything I can do except make you choose. He's opened the door. We still have to choose to step through it back into the arms of the Father, right? Some people will stand there and say, well, I don't like that door. There should be other doors as well. There should be like a, you know, this kind of door down here and this kind of door. No, there's one door, but it's wide open. It's wide open. We can argue all we want, or we can surrender and step through it back into the arms of the Father. So by the end of chapter 27, Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to his followers multiple times in the next 40 days, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God. Which brings us to chapter 28. And this is right at the point where Jesus is, uh, ascends into heaven. Chapter 28. How many of you read chapter 28 of the story this week? It is subtitled, or titled, A New Beginning. And let me tell you guys, this was truly a new beginning. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this, about new beginnings. Um, we've all had things that have happened in our lives that have made us go, Wow, this changes everything. I was thinking about, I don't know what it is in your life. I was thinking about one of the first moments I remember in my life that I thought, wow, this changes everything, was actually 24 and a half years ago in Houston, Texas. My life changed. Why don't you put that first picture up on the screen? My life changed. I was nervous. I was petrified. I, I mean, really Asked Sean, I asked my mom and dad. I was so stiff. He had to make me turn and look at her to say the vows because I, I, was, I was frozen stiff. Right? I, I remember watching her come down the aisle at Grace Community Church there, there in Houston. I knew that life would never be the same again. But it changed again. About two and a half years later, about two and a half years later, we were sitting in Carl Hospital in Urbana, Illinois. Guys, I thought I was ready to have a daughter. Sean and I had both been raised by good parents. We had good examples. We had been youth pastors for a number of years. We had this figured out, right? First picture. Yep, there you go. There's Lauren. And... Man, it was easy. Well, once the epidural kicked in, it was easy, right? I didn't know what to do before that. <laughs> and then I realized that things were going to change again. Because suddenly, within moments, our beautiful new daughter decided that she would start warming up her vocal cords. Show us the next picture. Yep. Still, still doing it, yeah. I certainly couldn't leave out the other two. Two and a half years later, it happened again, and Madison, Madison was born. Two and a half years later, it happened again, Aaron was born. Two and a half years later, 
we figured out what was causing this. <laughs> like, said, no. Got a revelation from the Lord. Okay, you can take that down. You can take that down. Madison said, what? <laughs> Guys, sometimes hap- things happen in life, and you would say, this changes everything. Everybody say, this changes everything. And I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe in your life, one of those first moments was a wedding. Uh, maybe it was a birth of a child. Maybe, maybe it was a funeral. Maybe it was something, maybe it was a world event. How many of you remember the moment when you saw live the planes hit those two towers? How many of you remember the moment when you thought, this is bad, things are going to change. Things will never be the same again. It may be in your life that it was a personal milestone Or maybe it was a stupid virus that would turn the world upside down and turn everybody mad. But things happen in our life that change everything. And I was thinking about the disciples, the followers of Jesus. They went through a few of these moments in a rather short period of of time. And um, they had a few moments that, that, that truly changed everything. And I mean, you got to think, in a period of three and a half years, three, three years, think of what happened from them suddenly understanding, meeting Jesus, him saying, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, and them following him around for three years. And then they witnessed his betrayal and death. Could you imagine that moment? They had were putting their trust in him that he was the Messiah. But suddenly, as we've talked about the last few weeks, it didn't look the way that they had thought it would look. This, this didn't play out the way that they had always been taught. And so there were probably doubts creeping up now. Did, what, what in the world was this all about? Did, did, were, we, were we off track? What, did we miss it? What happened? And then he's resurrected. Yay! He's back, he's back right? And then, and, and then a month and a half later, he says, I'm leaving, and I want you to go save the world. And they're like, what is happening? Right? Everything keeps changing. Their whole world keeps getting shifted upside down. So today we're going to look for a few minutes at the book of Acts. And... There are a few things that are obvious when you first start looking at the book of Acts. One, we see in the book of Acts that this is the beginning of the church. This is the church age. I mean, things have truly changed. From what we have studied in the story up till now, this is absolutely a new day. We know that something big is starting in the book of Acts. We know that the world is taking notice. Uh, The world is noticing that this changes everything. So... Does anybody know, does anybody know, what, 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 what's the name? We, we call it the book of Acts. What's the name of it? King James Version. The Acts of the Apostles, right? And that's what it is. It's a record of the Acts of the Apostles. Anybody know who wrote the book of Acts? Who? Luke. 
Luke. Yes, it was Luke. Now, Luke, it was Luke the physician, right? And Luke was an evangelist. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. Um, and we know that he was a, uh, he was a doctor. He was a physician. Uh, most theologians believe that he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts back-to-back uh, sometime right around 80 AD, within uh, just a few years of his death. And Luke, after doing much research and talking to many eyewitnesses, he writes these written documents as records of all that he had learned. And in this, theologians have studied the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and, and, and it's understood and agreed upon that, that Luke was generally, he was simply writing the facts. He wasn't exaggerating. He was trying to make this orderly account of what had happened. There's no opinion. It's just detailed facts of what happened from from numerous, numerous eyewitnesses. So, um, like I say, if you have your Bible app or you've got your Bible, uh, we're actually... Actually, before we get to Acts chapter 1, we're going we're gonna to go to the book of Matthew, the end of the book of Matthew and into the book of Mark. We want to look at Jesus' last uh, words for, for just a minute. But, um, but we're going to look at God's Word, and, and I think as, as we talk about this, I, I want you to realize that this changes everything for, for more reasons than one. See, through the Old Testament, as we've studied the story, you've really, it involves you, but it's, it's a little more indirectly. Uh, obviously, the Old Testament applies to us. It's our ancestors. It, it's history. But guys, the New Testament, starting here in the book of Acts, guys, this is our story. This is about you and me. Everything we discuss from here on out directly impacts you and how you live your life before the Lord. It involves you directly. So, like I said, I want to start, before we go to Acts chapter 1, I want to go to, um, to Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at the last couple verses of Matthew and the last few verses of Mark for just a moment because I want us to look at the last few words of Jesus. How many of you would say that somebody's last words are probably pretty important? If they, if, if they know it's about time to go uh, and they want to say something to you, it's probably going to be something that you want to hear. Something they want you to know, something of substance. So in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. He told them to go to a mountain. They went. They went and they saw him. When they saw him, they worshipped him. I never saw this before, but some still doubted. I, I, I never saw that right there before. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority... In heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then if we jump over to Mark real quick, in Mark chapter 16, Mark further records some of those last words of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus this, he says to them, he says, Go into all the world. What do we call this? It's the Great Commission, right? He says, go into all the world and preach openly. By the way, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. I, I love the way it words this. Preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Whoever believes the good news, what's the good news? That Jesus has done it. The door is open. The way back to the Father is there. Whoever, does, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. 
And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in, in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. So as I said, before Jesus departs the earth, he meets with the eleven and he gives them these last words. And he tells them to continue the work that he started. And basically he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he's saying, now I extend that authority to you in my name to go forth and to do the same works and declare the good news, right? So I can only imagine the apostles, um, the, the disciples, the followers that were there in that moment. I can only imagine how in, uh, inadequate they must have felt. Jesus just told them to go save the world, right? And here's the thing we know. Jesus is never going to leave them high and dry, right? Jesus is going to give them everything they need to fulfill the mission that he has just given them. Which brings us to Acts chapter 1. So God is about to use these men and women to start what he has called his church. And he's doing that with a mandate to go spread the good news to the entire world. And like I said, the good news being that the, the door is open and everybody's welcome back. But this is a great task. This, this is a task that, as the church today, that we're still supposed to be chasing after, right? We're still supposed to be trying to accomplish. Uh, rather, no matter how slow it seems to be happening right now, we, we, we've got to get in gear a little bit, and we've got to get after the mission that Jesus has given us. But this is still our task. But I imagine in, in those first moments, especially, the followers of Jesus had no idea what this looked like or exactly how to accomplish it. What a massive undertaking to be given. Nobody's been given a bigger task in all of history than what Jesus just gave these men and women. But Jesus gives them a huge gift that would empower them to do all that he was asking. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, look, I just gave you this mission, but hang on. Don't cower in fear. Don't run out there and try and do it in your own strength. He says, hang on. He says, head into Jerusalem. He said, I've got something, or, or rather we would say someone on the way uh, who's, going to, uh, who's going to help. And so if we go down a few verses to uh, verse 8, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I wonder if this caught, caught his followers' attention when he said this, because they could imagine going out and maybe declaring the good news to the Jews. And he mentioned Judea, but then he says Samaria. Oh, them Samaritans. The Jews didn't care a whole lot for them Samaritans, right? And put the verse up one more time, if you would. He says Samaria, and then, and then he says, and to the ends of the earth. So, how many of you would agree, God giving them this mission, Jesus giving them this mission 
to go spread the good news and save the world would be much easier if they waited for the power that he promised to give them in order to accomplish it. Everybody get what I'm saying? I think I'd feel a lot better about that. Jesus just gave them this. I can imagine feeling overwhelmed in what Jesus said. And then he says, but wait a minute. Hang on. Go to Jerusalem and wait. I'm going to send you the power to accomplish what I've commanded you to do. So what happens next? We know that Jesus sends into heaven. What do his followers do? They obey. So we go to Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, we're just going to hit verses 1 through 4 here for just a minute. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What an awesome moment that must have been. And guys, this was just a small taste of what was to come. It was just the beginning of what Jesus described as the power that he was sending to endue them to accomplish the task. And as a matter of fact, if we go down a few verses to verse 15, Peter is now speaking to the crowds outside, and, he's, and, he, and he quotes Old Testament scripture. He quotes the, the, uh, the prophet Joel. And, and, and look at what he says in verse 15. He says, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So the Holy Spirit has shaken this place where the disciples are waiting, like Jesus had told them to. The Holy Spirit shakes them. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and, they, and this commotion attracts attention. And so people are coming around going, what in the world is going on? And when Peter addresses them, he said, why are you surprised? The prophet Joel told us about this long ago, that this was coming. And I think about our series we've been doing, the story, and we've talked a lot about the Father, and we've talked a lot about the Son, but we haven't talked a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. And... Guys, the Holy Spirit is just as active and just as much a part of the Trinity as the Father and the Son. Amen? Amen. Many churches don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. Or, or in the King James, the Holy Ghost, right? Even the disciples were afraid of the ghost. Look, it's a ghost, right? What in the world is the Holy Ghost? Sounds like something scary. Guys, if we go down to verse 32 we can see all three parts of the Godhead that Peter mentions here. And he says in verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 32, he says, Can't you see it? God has resurrected Jesus, and we, have, we all have seen him. Then God exalted him, Jesus, to his right hand, the Father, the, the right hand upon the throne of highest honor. And the Father gave him, Jesus, the authority to send the promised Holy Spirit, which is being poured out, Upon us today. This is what you are seeing and hearing. Then we go down to verse 38. And in verse 38, Peter now tells the crowd 
what they need to do. Remember the crowd responds. They, they were, it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we do? And Peter responds in verse 38. And he says, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, this scripture has been taken a few different ways over, uh, over the, uh, well, past couple thousand years. Uh, it says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, many have translated that to mean that you will automatically receive the gift of the Holy Spirit once you repent and are baptized. And I, and I, I do want to talk about that for a minute, but I would suggest that there is more to it than this. And, and, and here's what I want to say with verse 38 on the screen. The word that we translate will, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The word will, I looked it up in the Strong's Concordance, and it is the Greek word lambano. And it means to accept, to grasp, to receive. And look at this, it means to choose. I would suggest to you that when Jesus was talking about the power that would come upon you, that it wasn't necessarily, it was not something that happens automatically. That it was a separate experience that Jesus was talking about. And, and to discuss that, I, I want to back up a bit for a few minutes and talk about the function and role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, how many of you were part of the series we did last year, last fall in the Holy Spirit, the Ghost Series Story, Ghost Story Series? Uh, I did five weeks, and it was not enough, and now I'm going to try and hit it in 15 minutes, okay? Um, I, I do encourage you to go back and listen to that series again. It's available on our website. I uh, also highly recommend the best book I ever read on this uh, by Robert Morris, The God I Never Knew. I encourage you to read that. But I just want to talk a minute about, about the, what we read in Scripture. What is the function of the Holy Spirit? So we look, if we look in John chapter 16, Jesus is talking specifically about the Holy Spirit here. And look what Jesus says. He says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Guys, I would present to you that the first function of the Holy Spirit is to bring what? Conviction. To bring conviction. Now, we tend to not like the word convict or conviction because I think we confuse it with condemnation. Um, guys, conviction is not a bad word. When people hear the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, they, they immediately think of, of, of a prison warden up there going, going, I see you. Look what you've done. You did it again. There's no hope for you. You're so hopeless. I'm going to get you. And guys, nothing could be further from the truth. That's not at all what the conviction of the Holy Spirit is about. Does the Holy Spirit bring conviction of sin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. But here's the reality. It's not because God is going to get you. It's to bring to your attention your desperate need for a Savior. It's so much less about your sin than it is about Jesus. It's about hope. It's about redemption. It's not a negative thing. It's one of the most wonderful things we were ever given. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's what drew you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin by pointing to Jesus. It's always the Holy Spirit that draws mankind to the Father. The Holy Spirit is pointing to that doorway in the wall. He's nudging you. He's pulling you, saying, come on, let's go. 
Does the Holy Spirit come and dwell in us when we receive Jesus? Yes. We receive Jesus through him. The Bible says that he baptizes us, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that he seals our salvation. He plays a very pivotal role in our salvation. And you may remember, man, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but you may remember last year I talked about how actually in the New Testament, we, we actually never see anybody baptized in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not in the Bible. Every time you look at the New Testament, they baptize. They would say, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, huh? And so that's why you may notice when we baptize, because some people would think it wasn't done right if we don't say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So our elder Dennis usually does the baptisms, and he normally says, I baptize you in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he baptizes just like they did in the New Testament. Because I believe, the Bible talks about a number of different baptisms, but I believe there are three different unique baptisms. I believe there is a baptism of the Father, a baptism of the Son, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. A baptism of the Father, it would be into the kingdom, baptism in water, and then baptism in, as the Bible says, in fire. But there's more. So the Holy Spirit comes to equip the believer. He comes to enable us to do what it is that we're called to do. Romans 6 tells us the Holy Spirit enables us to live in victory over sin. It's good news, guys. Somebody say amen. Galatians 6 says that if we walk by the Spirit, we won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. It's good news, guys. If we keep succumbing to the desires of the flesh, it very may well be that we need to walk more closely with the Holy Spirit. It also tells us in Galatians 6 that he frees us from condemnation. It says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Again, somebody say amen. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. uh, We know the Holy Spirit produces what the Bible calls fruit in our life, right? You guys know the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, uh, verse 22, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So guys, we are to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruit? They're these things that are mentioned right here. This is part of that being a witness thing we're supposed to do. You know, the Bible actually doesn't say to go witness. We actually made witnessing a verb. It says to be the witness. This is how we be the witness. That's not grammatically correct. (laughs) We walk out these things in our everyday life. If we walk these things out, people are going to notice because this isn't common. They're going to go, whoa, you're different. What is it with your life? And they're going to want it. Not bashing witnessing. Yes, we need to witness. Okay. Um. Uh, and, and actually, Jesus mentioned in John 15, 18, he said, But this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's the witness part. We are to be the witness by bearing the fruit. So in John 15, uh, Jesus also refers to the Holy Spirit as our helper. The word that is translated helper uh, could also mean counselor encourager. It can mean mediator. It can mean assistant. It can mean one who comes alongside. How many of you are glad for a time in your life when somebody came alongside of you when you were struggling and you needed somebody to speak into your life? 
You needed to know that somebody was there that loved you, to encourage you, to help you, to pick you up when you fell. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, it says um, in John 14, verse 26, Jesus says again, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit will bring back to our remembrance the things that we have been taught. He will speak to us. He will lead us. And he will guide us in this life. And, and by the way, as, as Pastor Sean was saying a while ago, isn't it great that we have somebody, a comforter, somebody to come alongside of us who knows everything, who's never taken by surprise, who knows the answer to every issue, every problem, every storm. Great person to have as an assistant, as a counselor. He knows the heart and the will of the Father. He knows the thoughts of the Father. And, and I talked about this a while back, but he can lead you into his specific will for your life. We read about God's general will in the Word of God, right? But God, the Holy Spirit, will lead you into his specific plan for your life even beyond that. Uh, eight, Romans 8, 26 says that he helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray. John 16, 12 says he is the revealer of truth in our lives. Guys, the Holy Spirit brings incredible, countless benefits to our lives as believers. And the, and the early followers of Jesus were getting a taste of this in these first days. So the disciples did what Jesus said. They went to Jerusalem. They waited for the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to clear something up here. Some people believe that, and you may have been taught, that when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost that that was actually what saved the followers of Jesus. Because I believe they were already saved. Jesus had resurrected. The Holy Spirit had already drawn them. They had already repented of their sins. They had already declared Jesus as their Lord. I believe that the followers of Jesus were saved as they were in that upper room praying to the Lord. They had already put their trust in Him. They had answered the question, who do you say that I am? Their life declared that Jesus was Lord. But in that moment, something would change. Something would happen that would change everything. So if we go back for just a minute, back to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one. And they were all filled. Everybody say the word, all Guys, these were not just the apostles. Was it 120 people, I think, that were gathered together? There were common folks who were followers of Jesus. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them evidence. So yes, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. He draws us to the Father. Guys, this is a different experience. This is something else. This was the power that Jesus was talking about. Now, one of the first things we see here, one of the first evidences we see, is that they were speaking in other tongues, right? People flip out today over tongues. Guys, it just means languages, right? We need to calm down. It's all right. It's okay. We know, even, even if you've been taught that it's not for today, we know that God did this. So we don't have to gloss over this part of Scripture. It's a good thing, right? This is an awesome thing that happened. 
So that's one of the first things we see. They were speaking. They, they came down from that room, and they, all these followers of Jesus are speaking other languages. There was all these foreigners in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost from all, it says, all the nations of the earth. They all heard them speaking the wonderful things about God in their own native language that these Galileans could not have possibly known. It was obviously a supernatural work, right? Um, the next thing we see is that they were filled with supernatural courage and boldness. And if you go down in, in Acts chapter 4 to verse 8, and we see Peter, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. And see, there's a big exclamation point at the end. Guys, these are the same people that Peter was afraid of like six weeks earlier. Same ones. He had, just, he had just denied even knowing Jesus to the rulers of the, of, the, of the Jewish people. He's now standing up and declaring the good news to them. Something has changed. We know the result of this endowment of power that happened that day. We know that 3,000 people confessed Jesus as their Lord. They answered the question, who do you say that I am? And they were baptized on that day. Guys, this was not a one-time experience. Many people say that this, this just happened that one time to kickstart the church. No, guys. Many people try to say that, but if you actually go in Acts chapter 4 down to verse 31, this is a whole separate time. This is a whole separate time. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. In Acts chapter 9, Saul has this encounter on the road to Damascus, right? He's knocked off his donkey onto his rear. He's blinded. Jesus speaks to him. He goes on ahead, right? And, and he waits in Damascus. And we know that, that, that God tells Ananias, a man named Ananias, uh, Saul's story and tells him to go. And so we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, it says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord, and look, he, he's specific here, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple things I want to mention here. One, God sent Ananias to be there to facilitate Saul being filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we have no, we, actually, I don't think we actually hear of this Ananias again. He's not counted among one of the apostles, right? But you may say, well, 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 Saul was one of the apostles. Right now he wouldn't. <laughs> not at all. They were all scared of him, right? He had been murdering folks. Guys, I actually personally also believe that Saul was a believer now too. He, he got knocked off the donkey Jesus speaks to him, and what does he call Jesus? Lord. And you think Saul wasn't repentant sitting there with his blind eyes? I think he had repented. I don't believe that Ananias, when it said he came to, to send him so that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't believe this was about salvation. I believe this was about the endowment of power from on high that Jesus had spoken about. It says uh, that all the believers 
who were filled with the Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Acts. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They found that they could lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus and people would be healed. They were hearing the Holy Spirit speak and give them direction. They were casting out demonic spirits. Yes, they were speaking in other tongues, which by the way is mentioned over and over again by people who are definitely not apostles in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on to mention in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he begins to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this. Paul is writing the letter to the church in Corinth, which is in Turkey. He wasn't writing to the apostles. Why in the world would he send a letter and talk about all the gifts, the supernatural miracle gifts of the Holy Spirit to a people who can't receive it? Doesn't make any sense to me. So what does Paul write to them? He says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, and uh, again, I'm going to read to you. Y'all have heard this before, so I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation this time. But it says, Each believer is given continuous revelation by the Holy Spirit to benefit not just himself, but all. For example, the Spirit gives to one the gifts of the word of knowledge. To another, the same Spirit gives the gift of the word of revelation knowledge. To another, the same Spirit gives the gift of faith. And to another, the same Spirit gives gifts of healing. And to another, the power to work miracles. To another, the gift of prophecy. To another, the gift to discern what the Spirit is speaking. To another, the gift of speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, the gift of interpretation of tongues. Remember, it is the same Holy Spirit who distributes, activates, and operates these different gifts as He chooses for each believer. Guys, many teach that this was only given to the apostles. I'll give you one more example that I, I believe kind of debunks that. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, we read about a guy named Stephen. Stephen's not counted among the apostles. It says here, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was endued with power. And as a matter of fact, the word power... Um, that you read here is it's the same word that's in all the different translations and it is the Greek word dunamis it's the same word that Jesus gave to describe the power that the Holy Spirit would bring at the upper room the same power that enabled them to be filled with the Holy Spirit the same power enabled them to speak in other tongues the same power that gave them the courage to stand up and preach the good news to a crowd of 3,000. The same courage that a chapter later, the, the, the same power that, in, that empowered Peter as he's walking the, to, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It's the same word power. I'll show you one more. In Acts chapter 10, we don't know exactly how much time has gone by, but it's not much. And, and Peter is speaking to Cornelius and his household when this happens. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening. Now, let me pause there for a second. The Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening. Does that mean that God just immediately saved every person who was listening? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It says the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? They were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. What does verse 46 say? For they heard them. Who is them? It's not the apostles. 
the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Common Gentiles had received Jesus as Lord and were now filled with the Holy Spirit in exactly the same manner as we saw in the upper room on the day of Pentecost with the original followers of Jesus. Exactly the same thing happened again. Guys, Jesus has given us a mission. As I said, this is your story. He's given us a mission, a mandate. But the Holy Spirit is the game changer in it. The Holy Spirit changes everything. We don't have to try to fulfill this mission in our own strength. The Holy Spirit is now there to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us, to use us. And it's not just to reach the lost and dying world. It's also that we may live a prosperous and fruitful life before God. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us, empower us, to be everything that he created us to be. And so I think we need to yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to sit in the captain's chair of our ship, of our life. We need to let him lead and guide the way. Yes, obviously, the most important thing that you could ever do in this life is to confess Jesus as Lord. That's, that is the most important thing you could ever do in your life. But God has offered a free gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And yes, that power is available to you and to me. And that power, that empowerment changes everything. And guys, let me tell you, my life, I can personally testify with no exaggeration I've probably seen every miracle that Jesus did happen today. I haven't seen walking on water yet. I'd like to see that. <laughs> I've seen probably every other thing that Jesus did happen. I have seen blind eyes open. I've heard deaf ears opened. I have known of multiple, multiple people personally, people I knew who were on their deathbed in the hospital and died. And they were brain dead. And the doctor's saying, we're cutting them off. And the family's saying, no. And they get people in there and they pray together. I know of a couple instances where they had to run and get the doctors because the heart rate monitor, the heart monitor started registering again. After 15, 20 minutes. Guys, God is moving today by the Holy Spirit. We've got to believe and we've got to take up that mantle. We've got to take on the challenge. And look, I encourage you. You, you may have been taught differently your whole life. And that's all right. It's okay. But I would encourage you, don't take somebody's word for it that taught you for a long time. Don't, take your, don't, don't go with the mindset because you've seen some weird things before and that's, that's kind of weird and, and spooky and can't be God. Guys, People don't represent God. Well, we do represent God. But, <laughs> but what you've seen somebody do, abuses or showing out, guys, that's not the heart of God. It's not his heart at all. So I'd encourage you to go back and read. I remember, oh, well, geez. I, I'll tell one person, I, I'm done. I just... I remember, how many of you remember when Miss Brenda Williams started coming to the church? 
My Lord, getting emotional. Mm. She didn't believe in any of that Holy Spirit nonsense. She didn't know what any of that was about. She knew that she loved the Lord. And she was absolutely saved, and we all loved her, didn't we? Before she passed away earlier in the year. And she talked to a number of us about the Holy Spirit over months, maybe a year. She had all kinds of questions. And I just told her, I said, Miss Brenda, just read it for yourself. Have you ever read it for yourself? Study it. And she finally did that. And she came back and said, I, I want that. I believe it is something else that God has for me. I want this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so the problem was, as the weeks went by, she didn't feel like she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She came to me and crying at one point, me and Shauna, and said, I'm trying and trying to get the Holy Spirit, but I just can't get it. I said, you're missing the point. It's not something we try to get. It's something that we simply receive. It's a free gift from God. She goes, what do I do? In my prayer time every day, I'm begging God for the Holy Spirit. I said, stop begging. Just be open. Just tell him, Holy Spirit, I receive you. I ask you to baptize me. I ask you to use me. She came to me one week later, and she said, I got it. You know his render. She's like, I got it. She said she was in her prayer time, and I, I told her, I said, just begin thanking him. Just begin thanking, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have filled me and empowered me to do what God has called me to do in this life. And she said the Spirit of the Lord filled that room, and she said she knew that he was there. And she went on and got her prayer language and all these different things, and, and you know the, the woman that she grew to be and graduated from ministry school and the woman that we all love before she passed away earlier in the year. Guys, this was the gift that Jesus sent. This was the first days of the church. And look, it was chaotic. The early church was messy, y'all. <laughs> we, we look back at it and we're like, ooh, they're the role models. And, and yes, they are, but it was chaotic too. They're trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we, we, we got these people have needs and these people have needs and, and how, we need to assign people to them. And you, what, about, what about these Gentiles and, and Paul's getting all up in in Peter's face and calling him out in front of everybody and, and it was messy sometimes. They, relationships broke off between some of the apostles. They went different directions and did different things. Seriously. We think church is messy. The church is messy today. It was messy back then too. It was. But guys, Jesus gave them everything they needed. He gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit Still available to us today. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the earth. And because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can fulfill every plan and purpose that he has for you. Again, we've got to finish the story. Uh, so we've, we've got to move on. I, I really I want to talk more about the, the early church and some things like that that I was going to touch on today. But I felt like we needed to stick to this. Um, but guys, I, I, I just encourage you. To, uh, to seek God, if, if you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to read what the Scripture says. Don't just go on something because it's what you've always been taught. Get into it yourself and see what the Lord shows you.
And in that, like I said, uh, I encourage you to read the book, um, and some of you may need to jot it down, but a book called The God I Never Knew describes very simply who the Holy Spirit is and his role in our lives. And how many of you have read that book before, The God I Never Knew? Yeah, I knew quite a few. Great book. Encourage you to do that. I'm also looking at doing a class come spring, potentially, where, um, where we will delve in deeper into uh, the Holy Spirit's role in our lives, go more into the gifts of the Spirit, and, uh, and those kind of things. But we need, to, we need to close out. Our children's workers are probably uh, having fun dealing with our antsy children back there. Let's stand up on our feet together. Worship team, come on, come on back up. Let's all bow our heads. Everybody across this place, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, let's bow our heads together. Guys, if there was nothing else you heard today, I want you to understand this. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings that conviction in your heart. And that conviction is to bring to your attention how much you need Jesus. Your life is desperately lost without him. So if that's the only takeaway today, that's fine. You need Jesus. Every head bowed. If you're in this place and you would say, I, I know I'm living my life for myself. I know I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I know I'm lost in my sin. Then I want you to pray with us. The Bible says when you pray this prayer, if you mean it with all your heart, look, you're making a declaration in your heart. You're answering the question of Jesus when he says, who do you say that I am? You're making the declaration that he is now Lord of your life. No turning back. You're repenting of your sin and turning away from it. The Bible says that if you do that, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. Yes, you'll still have issues in life, but you'll, now you'll have the creator of the universe holding your hand. You'll have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit with you. Guys, you don't need anything more than that. That's you. I ask you to pray along with us. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I am so lost in my own selfishness, in my own sin, in my own guilt and shame. But I thank you for Jesus, that he made a way where there was no way. I recognize I'm lost in sin, but Jesus paid the price for that sin so that I wouldn't have to. He took the judgment I deserved. He laid down his life in my place. And so today, Jesus, I declare that you are Lord. You are Lord of my life. I repent and I turn from my sin. I turn from my selfishness and I choose to follow you with every breath that I take. No looking back. No turning back. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me and empower me and equip me with that dunamis power like Jesus talked about that I can fulfill every work that you have called me to. Lord, I love you and I will follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Guys, I'm gonna ask if you prayed that prayer 
please fill out the connection card again, even if you already have. We need to, we need to know. You need to let someone know. What we'll do is we'll have somebody reach out to you. We'll have somebody get with you and talk to you, give you some direction. Can you all hang with me another minute or two? I didn't hear any yeses, so I'll do it anyway. Guys, it, it amazes me how the Lord works. Because this morning, I read my Bible and everybody else left before me. I was at the house alone and I prayed and I, I just said, Lord, what's your word for today? What are you saying? And I heard the Lord say, I am for you which we sang in the last song and is exactly what Shauna said when she came up. I heard that this morning at about 8 o'clock. Guys, God is for you. If you haven't gotten that in the last four or five weeks of the story, it was all for you. He is for you. The stuff you're walking through right now, he's not doing it, guys. But he has empowered you to stand against the works of the enemy. Tell you what, I'm glad my dad prayed over COVID because I'm getting sick and tired of it. Dude, had enough. We have been given the authority to stand against the works of the enemy. Why? Because God is for you. He did all this. Can you really believe that he doesn't care? Even in sending the Holy Spirit. Come on, guys. God is for you. You have never had a bigger cheerleader in your entire life. He is cheering you on every day. Don't ignore it. I am going to dismiss you guys here just a second. If you need prayer for anything at all, as, after I, as I dismiss, I'm going to ask you just to stay, stay put, and one of our pastors or elders will come get with you and pray with you for just a moment. If you receive Christ, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to stick with us. I want to, I want to meet you. I want us to pray with you. If you want more, and you have never accepted that power that Jesus was talking about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Guys, if you have declared Jesus is Lord, it's for you. So I would encourage you to stick around for a few. There are folks that would love to talk to you, give you some guidance, pray with you. And guys, you can receive that empowerment today. You don't have to wait. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.